God, I pray that uh, no matter what goes on in life, we would hold strong to you, to your promises, to your uh, to your love, to your hope. Uh, I pray that you would just speak through Michael, you'd speak into our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, amen. One, and then keep a finger in Deuteronomy 17. We'll be there in a little bit. Um, If you were the the CEO of a company, brand new, um, but you had worked your way up through the business doing kind of all the stuff that you needed to do to become that, and the old CEO was sort of your, your, you were his right-hand man, followed him around doing um, all that he did, learning from his example and his presence and his wisdom. So you had on-the-job training. Um, when you finally took over and that, that other person was gone, what should be the most important thing that you need to be successful? The most important thing that you need to be successful? I, I think if we, if we ask that question, well, you know, remembering the things I've been taught, um, you know, making sure you followed an example, being nice to people, there's lots of things. What's interesting is God's told us exactly what someone in that position needs to do to be successful. Um, as we continue talking about um, what we started last week about the fact that in 2015 we all need to be not only fruit pickers but seed planters, that we need to be about the business of multiplying ourselves on this planet through discipling someone else. But before we can do that, before we can take the seed and plant it, we've got to pick the fruit. Right, we have to, uh, to know the things that we need to know to pass on. We need to have to have a relationship with God, and that needs to be thriving. And we need to be nourished by Him and His Spirit. And so this morning we're going to specifically talk about one aspect of fruit picking, and that's spending time in His Word. That if, that if we're not doing that, we have nothing really to pass on to anybody else that's of any ultimate and lasting value. Uh, most of us, if not all of us in this room, uh, own at least one Bible. And most of us, if not all of us, would say it's important for us to, to know that or to be in it or to spend time in it. It's a value. Probably most of us would say it's inspired and inerrant. But we, we, we live in an age when this is, is not very highly esteemed. Um, the week of Christmas, Newsweek came out with an, an article um, entitled, uh, The Bible So Misunderstood It's a Sin. What was sad is there were uh, numerous, countless uh, factual errors in that article about why we can't trust this. What's sobering is there was some uh, very current research about how little evangelicals value this book. And so it, it was almost laughable just the, just the sheer lies and, and mistakes in it. Um, but we should take heart because the rest of the world that doesn't buy into this book is correct that for the most part Christians don't value it very highly. Um, the average American, that includes believers and non-believers, the average American owns four Bibles. And yet, uh, a fourth of those 
say, and this includes believers and non-believers, but a fourth of Americans say they never read the Bible. Of people who would claim to be churchgoers, people who say, I, I attend church on a regular basis, 40% of those read the Bible once a week or less. 40% read the Bible once a week or less. But my goal for myself and really my hope for all of us is that not necessarily we would improve upon those statistics, not that we would make sure that we're above average, but my goal for myself, my hope for all of you is that you would in 2015 know God better, that you would love Him better, and that you would love your neighbor better that you would know God better, that you would love Him better, and that you would love your neighbor better. That's what brings God glory. That's what honors Him, is when we do, as Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what brings God glory when we obey those two commandments that everything else falls underneath. And we can't love God better and we can't love our neighbor better if we don't know who He is, if we don't know His character. But what's interesting is, while that should be our goal, if you make New Year's resolutions, that should be it, that just doesn't magically happen. We don't just wake up one day and go, oh, I know God better and oh, I love Him better and oh, I can love my neighbor better. There's a means to that end, and one of the means to that end is spending time in this book. It's, it's spending time in this Word, by the help of the Holy Spirit, in a community of believers. And all three of those things are important. We will not know God better, love Him better, or love our neighbor better if we don't know what He's like by reading what he says about himself, not from what we hear from what someone else says. We can't love him better if we don't know what his expectations are. And we can't love our neighbor better if we don't know how to do that by spending time in his word. It will not happen. We have to do it through the help of his spirit. If his spirit is not present in our lives, guiding us into truth... It will not happen. We are the best at deceiving ourselves and twisting the words of Scripture and making them say the things that we want them to say so that we can do the things that we want to do. So that we can rationalize our behavior and make it look good in front of other people. And if we don't do that in community, if we're doing that on our own, we will, as Scripture proves, ignore God and His Spirit And if there's not people around us encouraging us and challenging us and holding us accountable to spend time in this Word and do what it says, then we won't. We won't ultimately know God better or love Him better or love our neighbor better. It won't happen. And so this morning I want to look at at two kind of high-powered people, CEOs, so to speak, and look at what God says is important for them. Let that be motivation for us and then talk about Um, some very specifics and some details. First of all, Joshua. 
at the beginning of, of the book of Joshua, he has become, so to speak, the CEO of Israel. He is the leader. God has placed him in a position. The question is, how did he get there? What's his background? What's his resume, so to speak? We could look at that and go, oh, yeah, he's the right person for the job. Well, he had on-the-job training. He um, led the nation of Israel early on before the Promised Land in a battle with the Amalekites. And it was sort of kind of, I'm going to get you out there and get you some experience, but you really can't fail as long as Moses' arms are up in the air. God's going to let you win. So kind of a dad watching over the little kid learning how to mow the yard, right? But training nonetheless. When uh, the elders went up on the mountain before God took Moses all the way to the top to give him the Ten Commandments, and they had a meal together, they all went back down, and the text says Joshua stayed on the mountain. I don't know if he was up with Moses or kind of halfway, but Joshua was the only one that didn't come back off the mountain when God descended and spoke with Moses. Nobody else was scared to death. I don't know what Joshua felt for those 40 days if he was with Moses or in between, like... Do I go down? Do I go up? What? But he was there. He had some responsibility. When the tabernacle was pitched and Moses would go into the camp among the people, Joshua was responsible for staying at the tent, at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Well, the only people that could do that were those who were clean and pure. He wasn't a priest, and yet he was allowed to stay at the entrance to the tent of meeting. It says something about his character and what God thought of him, that he would allow him to do that. And that's where God dwelt. He was in his presence. He was chosen specifically with, with 11 other guys to go and spy out the land of Israel. So he, he knew the land. He knew where he was going. He knew the battles he would need to fight when he finally took over. And he was only one of two when he came back and said, yeah, we should do this. He and Caleb were the only ones that stood up against the rest of the nation, took some leadership, took some initiative, and said, yeah, we should do this. And then there's no record in any of Scripture of over the next 40 years when he suffered because of everybody else's sin of him complaining. He took the punishment like everybody else. There's, there's no record of him during those 40 years of wandering going, these lousy Israelites. So he had on-the-job training. But also we learned that God was on his side. We read that the Spirit of God was on him. We read that um, God specifically, as well as Moses, specifically before the people commissioned him to lead. Moses' voice and God's voice before the people said, here's the person who's taking Moses' place. God said that Joshua wholly followed the Lord. How would you like that to be a description of you from God? He wholly followed the Lord. Both Moses and God out loud said to Joshua, God will be with you, or God said, I will be with you. There's this promise of His presence. And then the text says that Joshua had the spirit of wisdom resting on him. He had the right resume, he had the right character, and God specifically said, I'm going to be with you. What else could he need? As he gets ready to lead the people into the promised land, right? He's set. 
And if, if God's presence is with you and His Spirit rests upon you, what else could you possibly want or need? Well, God tells him what else he needs in Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. God tells him, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. He needed God's Word and not just on the shelf with the other three that the average Israelite owned. Actually, nobody probably owned one. Moses had written it on a, a stone. I don't know who had to carry that around, right? But somewhere, on stones or parchment or something, Moses had written down up to that point, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And this book of the law, God said, shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. It's not just something to leave on the shelf, but I want you to spend time in it. And my thought is, that probably wouldn't take very long. It's just five books. But we've got 66 books we're supposed to master, right? He just had five. And he wasn't just supposed to think about it, not just to meditate on it, but that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. It's not just that I own one. It's not just that he spent time in it, but that he actually did what it said. And so my question is, if, if that was what Joshua needed, who had everything that he needed to properly lead the nation to battle, experience, God's presence, God's spirit, if he needed God's Word, the question is, maybe do we need God's Word as well? Do we need to spend time in it on a daily basis? Are we, are we allowing God's Word to be a part of who we are? And then the question is, can you get by with less? Well, of course we can. We've done it for years. The church has always gotten by with less. Right? Half of the church, almost half of the church, gets by on a regular basis with less. Right? We look at it once a week or less. So, of course, we can get by with less. The problem is our memories are not that good. And we're really good at self-deception. And if we're not in this, we will twist it to do so that we can do what we want to do. If Joshua needed it, then we need it. Back up to Deuteronomy 17, just a couple of pages back, depending upon how many chapters are on a page. God is... is uh, Moses is explaining what needs to happen when Israel gets into the promised land and they finally get themselves a king. Here is how the king is supposed to obey. The text is going to be up there because we're going to look at it kind of a, a section at a time. But I want to read it out loud. Then we're going to kind of break it down and look at it one phrase at a time. So beginning in verse 18 of chapter 17 of Deuteronomy. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. This is the king. He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him. 
He shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. So, one phrase at a time. First of all, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. What does that mean? Well, it means when he has arrived, when he has officially been anointed as the leader of the people. It's probably also when he's the busiest and has the most responsibility. And it's then that he needs God's Word. In another survey done of of churchgoers, uh, the question was, what keeps you away from God's Word the most? And the, the most popular answer was, I'm too busy. And God recognizes that. When He sits on the throne of His kingdom, it's when He's the most busiest that He needs it the most. So what drives you away from the Word besides business? Is it, is it entertainment, TV, Internet, sleep, sin? Is it a, a lack of understanding? I feel overwhelmed. I don't even know where to begin. This thing's huge. But this thing has a thousand pages or more, depending upon your version, right? I don't even know where to start. You feel overwhelmed? Or is it like kind of the majority of Americans, I'm just not sure that I need it. I've managed this long. I probably can make it in 2015. When we come to the point where we don't think we need it, that's a sure sign that you actually do. It's when we're most in need. And so... It's a question we need to ask ourselves in 2015. What keeps me out of God's Word? And and what can I do to fix that? Do I need to change a habit? Second phrase. He says that he's to write a copy of the law. Anybody ever written out an entire book of the Bible? There's a few people have. It's a good exercise. The one gives you appreciation for scribes and you make a mistake. Oh, wait, I skipped a line, right? See what they go through. But not just reading, but as we write, those motor skills help us to retain. We see things we wouldn't see just by reading, especially something we've read on more than one occasion as we write it out. And so the king was supposed to write out, again, the law, at least those first five books. And those are long ones. It's not like, you know, writing out third John that would take a significant amount of time a significant investment do you think that you might value that highly (coughs) but what it also says was that he was responsible for God's word he was responsible you know it's not up to the pastor it's not up to the priest you as the king you are responsible for God's word you need to have your own copy and you need to spend time in it. And so, are you being responsible with this book? Not that you have to write out all 66 books, but at the very least, are you spending time in it? Does it guide your thoughts? 
Does it guide your actions? Does it guide your words? Are you responsible? The next phrase. In the presence of the Levitical priests. So he's accountable before other people. While he is ultimately responsible for his own understanding of this and living it out, he's also accountable with other people. We are not above supervision when it comes to God's Word. We need to do this, spend time in this book in community to make sure we have it right and to make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves. And so, another question for the new year. Are you accountable to anybody? Are you accountable to anybody as you spend time in His Word? We'll talk about that some more in a little bit. Next phrase. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Do you look at it as a necessary part of of what you're doing? And again, five books, he probably could have mastered that fairly quickly. We talk about reading through the Bible in a year and we break it up, but how long would it take to read those five books after you copied it? You probably could read through Genesis through Deuteronomy numerous times in the course of a year if you spent even just a little time in it. I mean, how many years would it take? Probably not very long for him to sort of begin memorizing that and kind of know it. And yet, he's told you do that all the days of your life, not till you think you've got it down. Because again, we've got horrible memories. We're easily deceived by ourselves and others. It needs to be a constant re-washing of our brain. Cleansing and getting all the junk out that we let in so that the truth can rest and penetrate and affect who we are. And then God gives three reasons why He's to do that. All of them begin with that. So that He may learn to fear God. Number two, that his heart is not lifted up. And number three, that he doesn't turn aside. So I want to talk about those and and flesh those out. Because again, this is not the goal that I read this more. It's a means to an end. We want to know God better so we can love him better, so we can love our neighbor better, right? It's a means to an end. Same thing here. He wants this to happen so that he learns to fear God because this book clearly explains that who God is and that we're not Him, right? And so if we're not spending time in this, what tends to happen is I tend to not fear God. I tend to fear man or fear rejection or fear failure. I fear all kinds of things other than God. I don't learn to delight in Him and pursue Him and chase Him. And remember, we've talked about what the fear of the Lord is. It's that idea, number one, of, of really obeying, but it's also that idea of how a sailor views the sea. At one point in time, it is what will kill him, but it is also what gives him joy and the thrill of life. A sailor both loves the sea and dreads the sea because it's what will take his life and it's what will make him the most free, the most fully alive. 
And this book helps us to do that, to feel that way, to experience that thrill and that fear of God. Second, so that our heart is not lifted up. So it's among his countrymen. right? If, if I'm not spending time in this book, and I'm responsible, whether that's for a kingdom or for a family, or for a business, or for my own schoolwork, what tends to happen is I tend to compare my effort with other people who are not doing as well as me. We rarely compare ourselves with people who are doing better than us, unless we, we tend to self-doubt and, and depression. But we often, what we'll do is we'll compare ourselves to people that aren't doing as well as us so that pride, so we can lift ourselves up. See what I'm doing? Well, at least I'm not as bad as her. At least I'm not as bad as him. And when we spend time in this book, what this book does is it puts everybody on the same footing. None of us are worthy. And God pursued us. And so when we spend time in this book, it allows us to view ourselves rightly in light of those around us. It helps us to love others well instead of being judgmental and critical and prideful. And then third, so that we don't turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Right? The goal is not that I've read the book so many times in a year or that I've read so many chapters or that I spend so much time a day in it. But the goal is a changed life. I want my life to look like I love God. I want my life to look like that I love my neighbor. I don't do this to check a box. I do this so that I'm changed. Ultimately, we destroy sin in our lives when we gaze upon that glorious kingdom and its glorious king. And the only place that we can find a true and accurate description of our glorious king is in this book. So, some nitty-gritty, some things that we need to do to help us to do this in 2015 because this needs to be done. We need to spend time in this book on a daily basis, whether we're busy or not. And I know many of you are. And the thought of adding something else to your plate is a little overwhelming. I understand that. And yet if God told the king of Israel and Joshua, who was the leader, you've got to spend time in this book on a regular basis, then we do as well. So number one, be intentional. Be intentional. Make a plan. Don't just say, well, I'm going to. Be specific. Make it measurable. Something that you can actually say, here's what I want to do and here's what I'm going to do. Tell somebody what you're going to do. Right? And then prepare. Right? If, if it's, I'm going to do this at such and such a time, then schedule that out. Many, many, when I lived in Texas, I had really bad allergies. One of the reasons to love North Carolina is, at least for me, is my allergies are gone. And one of the things that was frustrating about, and mornings were worst, get up and try to spend time in the Word, I'd get up every five minutes and go get a Kleenex. And then finally one day it dawned on me, you're just being distracted. Why don't you move the Kleenex box to where you are? 
Something as simple as that can keep us from spending quality time in His Word. Make a plan. Figure out what you need to be successful. Number two, be reasonable. Don't set yourself up for failure. Some of you are really, really busy. And while you may need to make some changes in your lifestyle to spend more time in His Word, saying, I'm going to spend an hour in the Word a day when that doesn't exist currently, you're setting yourself up for failure. That may be something you'd love to work up to over the course of weeks and months and years. But don't be unrealistic. Get people that know you well to give you input. What should I do? What's reasonable in my situation, my season of life, Right? Many of you have small kids and finding an, an hour alone, much less ten minutes alone, is impossible. So get people to speak into your life, to give you some, some wisdom, some guidance, some instruction. Number three, be in community. We've said before, you need to spend time with other people in this book. Whether that is you gather with some other people and you read it together and talk about it and interpret it and apply it to your lives, or you and another person are reading it separately and thinking about it and you get together and say, here's what I think God's saying to me, here's what I think God's saying to me. You need to be doing this in community with another person. At least one other person. Because again, we are masters of deceit of our own hearts. Find someone who's willing to read the same thing you're reading. If you've already started a plan and you're doing it on your own, then be willing to change your plan if you can find someone who wants to do something different. Because remember, the goal is not X amount of chapters or whatever plan that you want to follow in 2015, the goal is to know God better, to love Him better, and to love our neighbor better. Fourth, be believing. Some of us act like when Paul said that all Scripture is God-breathed, and when he said that everything has been written for our encouragement, I think sometimes we don't believe that because there's some parts of this Bible admittedly are difficult, and hard and would rather not read those. But if all of it is God-breathed, are we spending time learning the whole counsel of God at some point in time? Well, this may or may not be the year that you decide to read through the Bible if you've never done it before. At some point in time, you do need to read this entire book because all of it is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All of it, not some of it, or not the parts that are easy to read. Fifth, be content. goes back to our beginning statement. Remember, you're not doing this to please God. You're not doing this to please God. You're doing this to get to know Him better and to love Him better and to love your neighbor better. Remember, the only person that's ever pleased God was Jesus. 
And if you read through this five times this year and memorize large chunks of it, that doesn't please God. Jesus is the only one who's ever pleased God. And if you're not identified with Him, you can't please God whether you read all of this or none of this. But if you're identified with Him in His death and resurrection, then you can experience His pleasure as you learn about Him. And as you learn what He would love for you to do so that others can learn about Him as you love Him and love your neighbor. It is only when we abide in Him that we experience God's pleasure. And that is my hope and prayer for all of us. Is that when we get to the end of 2015, we will look back and go, I've experienced the pleasure of God as I've spent time with Him in His Word and with His people. I've experienced the pleasure of God as I've depended upon the Spirit and Christ's power in me to love Him and to love other people. And in the process, you may or may not beat the average of what the American does as he spends time in the Word. But my challenge is, you won't know God better, you won't love Him better, and you will not love your neighbor better if you do not spend time in this book with the power of the Spirit guiding you in community. It just won't happen. And so as we move forward into 2015 and thinking about how can I invest in the people, how can I plant seeds, you first have to pick fruit. And this is the first piece of fruit that you should choose to pick in 2015. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth that is in it. God, I pray that you would challenge us, that we would be known as people of your word. God, we ask that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for you. Because it is so easy, God, for us to hunger and thirst for all the things that this world offers. Help us see you in your glory and help us to be attracted to you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.